from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. It's Thanksgiving week here in the U.S. 48 million people will be driving. Traffic on roads is nearly back to pre-pandemic levels. But there's one difference. There are about a million more electric cars than there were three years ago. This year, the U.S. passed a tipping point for electric vehicles. 5% of new car sales are battery electric. Now, I know that does not sound like a very big number, but a Bloomberg analysis of EV sales in other countries around the world shows that it is a magic number when we start to enter mainstream adoption and sales quickly pick up. It's actually not unlike what we saw with the smartphone or other kinds of technology. The age of the electric vehicle is coming. New York and California have banned new gas car sales by 2035. Other states are expected to follow suit. Top automakers are now backing a goal to electrify half of new cars by 2030. And that, of course, means we're going to need a whole lot of charging infrastructure. Biden's infrastructure bill included $7.5 billion for building out those charging stations. And now the question becomes, who will own that electric charging future? That is the question that journalist David Ferris started asking himself a couple years ago. Well, I drive an EV, and just driving around, the thing that first caught my attention was, why are there so few charging stations at gas stations? Gas stations would seem to be a natural spot to find EV charging stations, like they're in fueling. And so I started to look into why. David is a reporter for Politico's e e News. He covers electric vehicles. And as he started pondering this question, he stumbled across a webinar held by a gas station industry trade group. Now, webinars aren't the most exciting place to uncover news, but in this case, David heard a simmering tension that's turning into an all-out conflict between two pillars of the American energy economy. They were mad. They're really mad at electric utilities. I didn't, at the time, understand the source of the anger or why they would consider utilities to be an enemy when it came to offering EV charging. And this story was the process of me figuring out why the EV is such a threat to the gas station. For over a century, gas stations have been a prominent feature of our car-centric landscape. But the rise of the electric vehicle could permanently alter that. If you look at the gas station and the electric utility, what you have are these two essential American energy providers that have been working in parallel for a century or more, uh, providing essential energy to Americans, one for transportation and the other one for for our cities and our buildings. Uh, And what the EV does is it causes those two to collide for the first time in their long history. And it creates an enormous power imbalance between them. The economic stakes are in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Today, gas stations and utilities sell roughly the same dollar amount of fuel and electricity. But the balance could shift dramatically toward utilities as more electric vehicles hit the roads. Once you realize that, it makes a ton of sense why the gas stations feel so vulnerable in the face of the electric vehicle. This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. This week, electric vehicles won't just shift the auto industry, they're set to remake the fueling industry. And the battle over who sells those electrons is already starting to get nasty. David Ferris joins us for a deep dive on the gas station's battle to survive. The entire solar industry rests, both literally and figuratively, on a vulnerable material. That material is aluminum. It is one of the most carbon-intensive metals, with the bulk of its supply originating in China. 
But what if module frames made from domestic recycled steel replaced it? On May 30th, Latitude Media and Origami Solar will host a frontier forum that explores what would happen if the U.S. solar industry shifted from aluminum to recycled steel. We'll explore the impact on supply chains, costs, technical performance, and carbon emissions. This is a must-attend for anyone who cares about the domestic solar industry. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes, or go to latitudemedia.com events. There are 120,000 gas stations in America. In every neighborhood today, there is a service station. You can probably remember seeing one in your own neighborhood. That number has dropped by about 30% since the early 1990s, mostly in urban areas. Still, the gas station is a very important fixture of our intersections, rest stops, and highway exits. Because so many people have cars today, service stations are very important. Electric vehicles are a threat to these stations. And that might seem a little counterintuitive. Why not just keep the same model and swap a gas pump for an electric charger? Now, the gas station industry, they'd like to do that. But it's not that simple because of how electricity is sold. The thing I learned through my reporting is that you could not imagine two more different business models than the electric utility and the gas station. And that accounts for a lot of the reason why they are not getting along. One of the first things to understand about this conflict between utilities and gas stations is that the two markets, fuel and electrons, they could not be more different. Ferris writes that gas stations are one of the most transparent, hyper-competitive markets in America. Gasoline pours into the tank. The attendant watches the numbers on the pump. If you want five gallons, he'll stop the pump when five gallons are delivered. Other numbers on the pump show how much money the five gallons cost. And so, as you see today, there's a giant sign, giant lit sign, that blares out what its price is. And mostly people will go to whichever one has, uh, is offering that fuel for a penny or two less than the other, unless the other one, like, has a cleaner bathroom or something like that. That's kind of, it's become sort of this very extremely transparent, where the price is extremely transparent, and it's hyper, hyper competitive. And then you have the electric utility. The electric grid, as David points out, is one of the most complex, obscure, and uncompetitive markets in America. Utilities largely act as monopolies. Prices are determined by a wide set of factors beyond the cost of fuel. That includes the age of power plants, the cost of upgrading wires, and what regulators say a utility can charge. And rather than being like one simple declarative price for unleaded or premium, you have these complicated rate schedules that no one really understands. Um, that are really fast-forwarding to today, a bit dumbfounding for a gas station to have to think that suddenly um, the price for the fuel is no longer uh, straightforward. And because they don't have any control over their pricing, they don't feel like they can make any money. Why is this creating a battle zone uh, over the future of the fueling station? When EV fueling started to be a thing, and gas stations weren't the first one, it's the charging networks that we already know about, like ChargePoint, Electrify America, Tesla. They had a really huge problem when they first started out. And that the problem is that it's illegal to sell electricity unless you're, unless you're the electric utility. The reason when you go to a coffee shop and you plug in your laptop, the reason they never charge you a fee 
for electricity is because it would be illegal to do so. Because the only one who's allowed to charge you for electricity is the utility. And so put yourself in the position of being someone who's selling electric fuel. You can't charge for the fuel. And so for a number of years, it was difficult for this industry to be financially viable because they had to work through these really long, difficult rate cases and regulatory proceedings state by state to even be allowed to sell fuel in the first place. So there's one major obstacle that you write about in the piece that creates all kinds of headaches for folks who want to potentially operate these electric vehicle charging stations, and that is the demand charge. It's when a utility charges more at a certain time of the day for a lot of demand from a particular facility. It can hit commercial facilities pretty hard depending on the rate. This is a potential major problem for gas station owners, folks who want to operate these networks. How does it work and why is it so problematic? Right. Well, the demand charge has been around for a really long time. It's been one of the main ways that utilities have made money off big power customers for a long time. And it's basically, from the way they look at it, kind of an equitable thing. If you're going to use a lot of power, um, doing so requires beefy electric infrastructure to provide that to you. And the way that the utility recoups that cost is by charging you this demand charge. And basically what it is is for the few minutes of the month, for the few minutes of your billing cycle, that you are using the most power, they they add a multiplier of a certain number of dollars to your bill. And so if you use a lot of power, it's high. And if you use less power, then it's low. And it's generally not all that controversial because big power users like factories or a farm that has a lot of irrigation pumps, a data center, have the ability to kind of throttle their power use and avoid that sting of the demand charge. But the EV charging station is another thing altogether because it doesn't have the ability to plan when its big power use is going to come up. They're just sitting there. And then at some point when they can't estimate, can't guess, it may be that every single one of their four or eight plugs gets plugged into and their power use goes through the roof. And then at the end of the month, they wind up with this huge bill. EV charging isn't something that generally makes anybody money these days, but that demand charge can put it dramatically in the red. And it's something that the whole EV charging industry with gas stations as a subset is struggling with how to solve. One other complication is where to put a station. And uh, there are thousands of utilities, all with uh, different pricing structures. Um, And so if you're a a station owner, the economics for your charging station could be wildly different depending on where you site that facility. And it could be in one utility territory, a wildly different regime compared to another. How is that map of utility territories factoring into locating these facilities? Well, right now, the stations are being built by gas stations that are where the demand charges are low. And so uh, I centered the story on Colorado and this one particular station outside of, um, just on the edge of Denver. And one of the reasons that come and go, the gas station chain chose to put it in that location was because the demand charges from the big power provider Excel um, were reasonable. And in other places, it's not. And so they, they told me, we're, we're running away right now from those locations with high demand charges. And so the way that this is kind of unfolding 
is that unless some solution is reached, gas station, the, the EV charging stations aren't going to be rolled out uniformly or equitably. So tell me about this from, from the driver's perspective. How does the map impact them? Well, the interesting way that it impacts the driver is how invisible it is. And in the story, I gave the example of Metro Denver. If you're driving north on Interstate 25 out toward Wyoming, you cross over the boundaries between five different uh, utility service territories. And those lines don't make any sense. They're carving in and out. Um, Sometimes one utility has control on one side of the street and another utility has control on the other. And there's gas stations on both sides. Um, and it's it's not something that the you will will ever expect the customer to be able to make sense of, but it creates a dilemma for the gas station, um, per, the gas station owner because they want to provide the same general price for customers, so they're not complaining. You know, they don't you don't want to be, charge someone six times the price for fuel in one location as you do down the street, but that's what they're having to pay. You know, like the in this town of Wellington, if you go a few blocks north, it costs six times as much to charge. You go a few miles south, it costs four times as much to charge. How is the how is the gas station chain owner supposed to make sense of that for their own uh, for their own books and for the customer who asks how that makes sense? We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, a lobbying clash reveals the stakes of the outcome for both of these industries. Mark your calendars for May 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and Origami Solar will unveil new research on how recycled steel can help reinvigorate the U.S. solar industry. Why recycled steel? Well, the solar industry is dependent on imported aluminum for frames, leaving it vulnerable to geopolitics, supply disruptions, and higher-cost transportation. By switching from aluminum to recycled steel, solar producers can reduce greenhouse gas emissions and qualify for IRA domestic content incentives. Have questions about the shift to steel and the impact on supply chains? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, Origami Solar CEO Greg Patterson, and American Clean Power's MJ Shao for this live virtual event. Again, it's May 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Register for free at latitudemedia.com slash events or click the link in the show notes. So the infrastructure bill and the subsequent climate bill were huge wins for electric car charging. Uh, They got billions of dollars to build out new stations. It is definitely a win for expanding EVs. Behind the scenes, though, the utility and gas station trade groups They saw it as a zero-sum game. And as David started talking to both sides, as negotiations ramped up, he heard the utility folks talk about how much they disliked working with NATSO. The NATSO is a trade group for the travel plaza industry, and they were very involved in negotiations around EV charging. They just didn't didn't like working with them. So they seemed like they always made people mad when they got in the room. If if they came into a meeting with utility executives, the utility executives just couldn't just have to walk out because they were so angry and so uncooperative. And so I went back to Natso and I asked them about this and I said, "Well, they say that you're you're hard to work with." And they said to me, "What? They're saying that we're hard to work with? Let us tell you what what happened in the summer of 2021." <laughs> and and they proceeded to tell me a story about what happened. And in the fact is that this the way this got ugly uh was last spring and summer in Washington DC. 
when the bipartisan infrastructure bill was being created. Um, and it was still kind of at the committee stage. Just first priorities were being worked out. Everything was very fluid um, and unwritten. And the electric utilities and the gas stations may not share much, but it turned out they did share one crucial thing, which is the same lobbyist. That firm, Steptoe, started advocating for policies like ending demand charges or allowing gas stations to sell electricity at wholesale prices. That did not go over well with utilities. So they pressured the lobbying group to fire the guy who represented Natso and permanently shed the gas station industry as a client. And so he was forced out. And uh, the gas station lobby lost its lobbying firm. Um, No, we don't need to cry over a lobbyist losing his job. But it does show you that the economic consequences of the energy transition are showing up in a new spot and getting, getting real, where there's real dollars on the line. Yeah, during the Obama administration, when the president came out and said, we want millions of electric cars on the road, a lot of people laughed. Took a lot longer to get uh, cars on the road than we thought, but here we are at a moment where you have two extremely powerful lobbies now fighting over who controls that piece of the energy transition and in transportation. It feels like we're entering a different era. Yeah. One thing that you don't hear a lot in this debate is anything about being green or the planet. (laughs) It's all becoming high stakes because it's moved beyond any sort of halo and into the trenches of how industries embrace this this enormous change agent of the electric vehicle. There's this whole other question about the experience. You touched on what that experience could be like. Um, The future of the gas station might not even be like a gas station at all. It's a place that we could work, that we can enjoy slower meals, it's just a very different experience from what we're used to today. Uh, any thoughts on what ultimately these stations could look like? I notice as an EV char- as an EV driver that I've really kind of welcomed the way that it changes how I travel. I think that people go in thinking, "Well, I want to replicate that experience where I just stop briefly, get on the road, and go." And that's because the gas station is not a place that welcomes you in to do anything. But I think there are going to be increasingly retailers beckoning you to do things while you're charging. And that it could be an opportunity to do different things. Like, for example, there's a survey that was put out by a group that tracks gas stations. And um, some of the things that Gen Z drivers said they might want to do while their car is fueling is do their dry cleaning or get a workout in. Um, Not the answers they expected to hear, not the kind of thing you'd think about doing while your car is fueling. But, you know, maybe maybe there's like a, a little business cluster. Maybe like, you know, you drop off your dry cleaning, you go do some curls with some weights in a little gym nearby, grab a coffee and you're on your way. And so it kind of, it feels like there's, it's this new, it's a whole new venue where someone's going to figure out how to do something that is going to is going to get people excited and that in itself will kind of change the culture and how people relate to their fueling. Does that feel like it will come from the players involved in the gas station industry or will be will it be a new set of players that are not tied to the status quo? Well, I I would guess that 
urban gas stations are probably not going to not going to survive or are going to going to exist in a much more scaled back form and the main reason for that is not competition from the pharmacy or from the grocery store but just from your own garage or from your own workplace you know there's not a lot of need for fueling um, in the city if you're able to charge and fill your battery at home the place where it is going to be salient is if you're taking a road trip. Um, there's a lot of places in a lot of places where there is no other place to put a charging station other than the gas station. And so um, I think you're going to see that those those stations are kind of primed to survive because they're they have the best real estate. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch what kind of amenities strike a chord with people at those stations. Really incredible new front in the energy transition. David Ferris, thanks so much for joining us and and uh, helping us understand it. It was I enjoyed the conversation. That's all for the show this week. Thanks for being here. The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Don't forget to take our survey. Thanks to all of you who already did. You can just go to the link in the top of the show notes. It's like a dozen questions. And at the end, if you put in your email address, that is optional, by the way. But if you do, you'll get entered to win one of five $100 Patagonia gift cards. It's so important for us to understand more about you and to help us bring in sponsors that are more relevant. So thank you. This episode was produced by Alexandria Herr and me, Stephen Lacey. Sean Marquand is our engineer. Original music came from Echo Finch and Blue Dot Sessions, and Sean Marquand composed our theme. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm that partners with entrepreneurs to address climate change across advanced energy, food and agriculture, transportation and logistics, advanced materials and manufacturing, and advanced computing. Go check out their wide portfolio, which uh, now includes us. Thanks, Prelude. Give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. Thank you so much for sharing this on social media, spreading the word, giving us a rating, all of it's hugely important. And we will catch you next week. Um, Happy Thanksgiving to all our U.S. listeners. We wish you well, and we'll talk to you soon.